Times a day do you want to say that to politicians, the elite, the loony liberals, the fake news media, and the gender-confused, emotional socialist snowflake crowd? Cut the crap is your secret weapon for fighting for our freedoms and our great republic. It all begins with a massive mental enema, freeing you from the toxic news and politically correct views, which constipate your consciousness with stinking thinking. Your host, Joe Von Hutton Pulitzer. He's known for calling out politicians and telling them to cut the crap. You've seen him on virtually every television network and listened to 
to him on Coast to Coast Radio. And now he's here to help you learn to fight for America. Culture, race, and American politics, they all have one thing in common. They all need to cut the crap. Now, here's your host, Joe Von Hutton Pulitzer. Hey there, folks. Go on, Hutton Pulitzer. Welcome to Cut the Crap. You know crap is an acronym. It just stands for culture, race, and American politics. Because, you know, as I say, I believe absolutely when we mix culture, race, and American politics, everything, and I mean everything, goes to hell in a handbasket. Uh, I've got a great guest for you this evening. Um you know him because you just know his name. Roger Stone is just out there. You talk about a great American patriot. I want to bring you something a little bit different than you might see most of the times when you see him supporting our great country. I'll give you a quick rundown. You know, most people don't know that he's written uh, a tremendous amount of books. He's been called everything in the book. Uh, taking from him, he's been called by fans of political genius. Uh, political and cultural icon. He is the, and this is indisputable, he is the best dressed man in politics. Well, the enemies, they call him all kinds of things. You've heard it. Uh, but one thing that's truthful about Roger Stone is he is a truth teller that tells it exactly like it is. He's not in for other stinking thinking. He's in for his own ideas, his own conclusions, his own theories, and his own strategies. He's been very effective all throughout his career. He's worked on 10 presidential campaigns, including a senior advisor to three Republican presidents, Nixon, Reagan, and Trump. Many credit him as the man that convinced Donald J. Trump to uh, hop in for every one of us in this nation. And as you know, Donald J. Trump opened the eyes to all of us to quite a bit. Here's the man behind the scenes, Roger Stone. Welcome to the program. Jovan, that's an incredible opening. I hope I can live up to all of that. <laughs> it's your history. It's your history, my friend. Hey, folks, let me give you a few things real quick. Uh, here's where you can support Roger. He's He is newly back on Twitter. He just got uh, set free from Twitter hell and Twitter jail. So he's newly free on Twitter. He's got a uh, Substack, just like myself out there. It is the stone cold truth. Please take the time to check in to the Substack where you can get his ideas, information, and sharing with you the stone cold truth. Roger, I want to really kind of go back in time because I'm interested in some things. And the most thing I'm interested in at the moment, what was Roger Stone like as a little kid? What were you as a young guy? Well, Giovanni, I lived in a very rural area uh, where there were no kids my age, uh, you know, within 25 miles. Oh, wow. And that kind of means no team sports. You know, there was no football, no basketball, no baseball. Uh, you had to engage in sports that you could do by yourself. That was long distance running and eventually uh, weightlifting, bodybuilding. Right. Uh, and um, I originally wanted to be an actor. 
And of course, my parents thought that was a crazy idea. They said, son, be a be an electrician, be a be a be a carpenter, be a plumber. Those people make really good money. Uh, but uh, until 1964, I wanted to be an actor. That's fantastic. Uh, who, was, who, who inspired uh, you to think that you wanted to be an actor? Who who in your mind was like setting you on fire? I want to do that. Uh, you know, I used to stay up very late at night and watch the Late Late Show, and I would see all these movies from the 1930s. Uh, Gary Cooper, uh, Clark Gable, uh, uh, Fred Astaire, and so on. I also had this great affinity for the Marx Brothers. Anytime there was a Marx Brothers movie on, I would stay up till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Of course, we didn't have, you know, the ability to download these things, so you had to follow the weekly TV guide, see when they were going to be on, set the alarm clock. My, my parents thought I was quite insane. Uh, but in 1964, uh, the woman who lived next door to us, who was very active in the uh, Women's Republican Federation, gave me a copy of a book called The Conscience of a Conservative by Barry Goldwater. Uh, and uh, I devoured this book. Uh, and then I changed my entire outlook. I no longer wanted to be an actor. Uh, I now wanted to be uh, in politics. Uh, and I later, of course, I would find out that politics was just show business for ugly people. But <laughs> in, in truth, Goldwater's book, and I didn't know this at the time, which had actually been ghost, rust, write, ghost written by uh, Bill Buckley's brother-in-law, Brent Bozell, oh, um, wow. was a distillation of everything I felt about politics and government. In other words, I wanted a small, unintrusive government. Uh, right. I wanted low taxes. I wanted, didn't want to see the government wasting money. I was a staunch, hardcore anti-communist, and I thought the, the communists were on the march around the globe. Uh, you know, I, I became a, a I became a Goldwater Republican uh, at age twelve, and I was a I was a fanatic. Meaning, I had a Goldwater bumper sticker on my bicycle. I wore a Goldwater button to school. I proselytized endlessly among all of uh, the adults who were friends of my of my parents and my relatives about why Barry Goldwater was such a great man. <clears throat> it was even apparent to me then that Lyndon Baines Johnson was one of the greatest uh, crooks in American politics, was an epically corrupt uh, individual. Right. Uh, and of course, I remember very distinctly uh, the murder of John F. Kennedy uh, and the way that, that Johnson rose to the presidency. Uh, and of course, when that happened, any prospect Goldwater had uh, or that uh, there we would have had for a competitive election disappeared. Right. It's kind of interesting because, you know, as a, Nixon Republican, uh, you know, I, which is what I would ultimately become, because in retrospect, after the crushing defeat of Goldwater, um, who went out of his way to lose. I mean, I understand Goldwater talked openly about the possibility of using nuclear weapons in Vietnam. He talked right. openly about privatizing Social Security when he visited Florida. Uh, he talked about privatizing the Ten Tennessee Valley Authority when he was campaigning in Tennessee. He he was kind of a cranky guy, went out of his way to lose the presidency. I began to study the previous election, the 1960 election. Uh, and I concluded after a lot of reading that that election had been stolen. Uh, I would later write two books on this subject, uh, utilizing a, uh, a series in the New York Herald Tribune, which cannot be found online. I had to go to 
microfacial library in New York to find it, but which the theft of that election is very, very uh, carefully documented. In any event, um, I must say, in retrospect, now, I have an appreciation for President Kennedy that I didn't have as a boy. Uh, I really did not understand that JFK was an anti-communist. Right. JFK wanted a gold or silver-backed dollar. He opposed to moving to uh, to uh, paper-backed money. Uh, he had a deep distrust of our intelligence agencies who had misled him both at the Bay of Pigs uh, the uh, the failed invasion of Cuba, but also during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, his father was a bootlegger. He did have certain relationships with organized crime, which played a key role both in his election and ultimately in his murder. Uh, but I have a new appreciation uh, of Kennedy as a, as a disruptor. Kennedy was a disruptor in, in a way that Donald Trump was a disruptor. Yeah. Uh, Water lost. Um, I went on at age 14 to be the deputy campaign manager in a state Senate race for a guy named John Lupton. Uh, and his manager uh, was right out of Mad Men. This guy worked on Madison Avenue. He took the commuter train to Manhattan from New Canaan, Connecticut every day. Uh, I remember he wore these thin black ties. He smoked these little cigarillo type cigarettes. I learned more from him about advertising, sloganing, uh, and everything I learned in 1966 is completely applicable today. In other words, if you can if you can illustrate a poster, you know how to build the splash page of a website. It, it's it's really the knowledge is very much uh, analogous. Uh, and that was a race we won. Now, in all honesty, it was a state Senate seat that comprised uh, in suburban Connecticut that comprised Westport, Weston, Wilton. New Canaan, Darien. This had to be one of the toniest uh, 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 districts in the country. But Lupton was a conservative. I mean, a real Goldwater conservative. He had been Goldwater's chairman. Uh, and that was the first time I actually saw the intensity of conservative Republicans. Right. In other words, I, I, had, I had watched in 64 uh, in the same district, uh, the Republicans lose a House seat because moderate Republicans would rather go to cocktail parties than go to caucuses. Uh, not so with John Lupton. And from that moment on, I was uh, hooked. Um, I wrote a letter to Richard Nixon in 1966. I basically said, I think you you got robbed. Uh, if you ever decide to run for president again, I definitely want to help. Of course, they didn't know that I was only uh, 17 years old at the time. Uh, but sure enough, uh, two years later, I was contacted by an assistant to former Vice President Nixon, went into New York City for an interview, ended up getting hired as kind of a gopher, working directly for John Mitchell, who was uh, Nixon's campaign manager, law partner, attorney general, later went to prison in the Watergate matter, although he maintained to the day of his death that he had never approved the break in into the Watergate. Uh, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. And... Uh... You have a kind of an obscure credit out there. It, it's interesting you mentioned the Kennedys and bootlegging. My, my, grand, my own grandfather, I come from a very large family. My own grandfather was born in 1895. So I am the youngest. Uh, my father's the youngest of a whole passel of kids. But my great-grandfather 
was the postmaster there in the Naples area running the boats, delivering the little packets for Mr. Kennedy, which was <laughs> delivering the booze with the mail. Now, you have a kind of an interesting note out there that you were kind of sideways connected to Watergate at the young age of 19 years old. What's that story? Yeah, so I, uh, when I was in college, I went to George Washington University. Um, I talked my way into a job at the Committee to Reelect the President, later known as CREEP. Uh, and uh, there was a very strange <laughs> mentality uh, around Nixon. Uh, Nixon had his own men uh, and uh, people like Chuck Colson, um, who later, I think, converted to, to, uh, to Christianity and did much great work for many, for many, many people. But they had this kind of phony toughness about them where everybody was trying to top everybody else to show Nixon how tough they had been. Right. Nixon had definitely, uh, there was some psychological damage uh, in losing the 1960 election. I mean, Richard Nixon had been an eight-year vice president. He'd prepared for this job his entire life. Along comes a very charming, good-looking, but relatively lowly regarded playboy, uh, lightweight uh, senator whose campaign is funded by his bootlegger daddy, Right, uh, And um, there were a lot of dirty tricks perpetrated on Nixon in 1960. Uh, and I think that left him with the mentality that he would never be tricked out of the presidency again, which in some ways leads to the mentality that explains Watergate. Now, anyway, I was the youngest member of the staff. Yes, I, I knew Jeb Stewart Magruder. I knew E. Howard Hunt. I knew Gordon Liddy. I mean, knew them in the sense that I saw them come and go. Right. Uh, and uh, I was able, uh, I was called before the grand jury at age 19, which is a very scary uh, prospect, not because I had done anything wrong, but to describe certain uh, dirty tricks but that turned out, I would find out much later, to be the brainchild of Pat Buchanan. Things that were wow. not illegal in 1972, but that would subsequently become illegal with the campaign finance reforms after that campaign. So, uh, yeah, I've been at this, uh, you know, I then, because the Nixon people came from Southern California, Nixon and Ronald Reagan shared a deep bench of both donors, key operatives, and so on. So I parlayed my job uh, with Nixon into a job for uh, Governor Ronald Reagan in his 1976 campaign, uh, reprised that job in 1980 when we won. So I was with him when he challenged Ford and we were defeated in a narrow contest. It was very exciting. Uh, and then uh, reprised it in 1980 and then came back for um, for uh, Reagan's re-election in 1984. By the way, I just want to give you a uh, congratulations on your 30th wedding anniversary your absolutely lovely bride. I know you just hit 30 years. I saw that. Thank you. That's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to take a look at your life and seeing what you've been through. I want to ask you just kind of a rather blunt question. It is safe to assume a poli politics has always been dirty, correct? Yes, but not like this. This is a, this is a completely different. I mean, first of all, you have the technological advances in politics, which have changed everything. So by 1980, a majority of the states are still, particularly the smaller states, are still using paper ballots. 
the states that have machines, these are these are mechanical machines. These are not computerized machines. These are like a sophisticated adding machine, as right. it were. Uh, and therefore, you didn't have the uh, prospects for voter fraud. Voter fraud um, was uh, was much more primitive. So, sure, in Chicago, um, you know, they would pour you a shot of whiskey and you'd go in and vote, and that that's how voter fraud worked. Or you would uh, have multiple people on the rolls uh, and somebody would show up and vote for them. But the fraud was not in the machines. The fraud was not in the tabulation of the vote. The fraud existed uh, to the extent that it did uh, in the in the big cities, uh, in the urban areas. Um, there's no question. Uh, for example, in 1960, Mayor Richard Daley of Chicago said, uh, you know, with the help of a few friends, John Kennedy would carry Chicago, and indeed he did. And they played this cat and mouse game where each side would hold back a certain number of precincts and not report until the other side reported until they knew how many votes they needed to make up. Uh, as late as 1980, the late 80s uh, is the first time you have uh, voting machines that are centrally connected, you know, and computerized. And the first people to object to them are the Democrats in 2000. In 2000, with the narrow uh, victory of George W. Bush over Al Gore, for the first time, Democrats object uh, to, the, uh, to the centrally linked electronic computerized voting machines, Kamala Harris being one of the major critics, but many, many others. Uh, so uh, the sophistication of our voting systems today did not exist. And I think when we had a simpler system uh, that was based on paper ballots or, or mechanical machines, um, you, you, our elections were far more honest. But then in addition to that, there was uh, in the political class, uh, you know, when I lived in Washington in the, uh, in the 80s and the 90s, and I was a pretty successful political consultant, um, I had good relationships uh, with a lot of Democrats. We would eat together, drink together, tease each other. Sometimes we would beat them. Other times they would beat us. Uh, you would always say, well, I'll get you next time and so on. Today, they don't want to just beat you. They want to send you to prison. That's they right. want to bankrupt you and they want to destroy you. Uh, this, is, uh, this, is not, uh, this is not the way it always was. This is a, this, this weaponization uh, of the, our criminal justice system uh, and weaponization, uh, or I should say criminalization of legitimate political activity, which should, of course, be First Amendment protected activity. This is a relatively new. Would you, yeah, would you agree that, that politics now has taken a really sinister, evil bent Oh, there's no question about that. Just go look, go through what going through what I have gone through, which is a uh, two and a half years of hell. I mean, right. my wife and I lost our, our home. We lost our savings. Uh, we lost most of our insurance. Uh, I lost my ability to make a living because I was gagged by a federal judge, and therefore I wasn't even allowed to say there is no Russian collusion to lie about. I couldn't say that, even though right. that is the truth. Uh, it, it is, uh, we've come to a very nasty place and it, it's not, I wish I could tell you that this is over, but, um, uh, you, I still, to this day, I can't go out to a public place without many patriots coming up and slapping me on my back and saying, God bless you. And 
God bless what you've done for countries and uh, the country and others telling me that I'm a, a Russian traitor, which is right. absurd because there is no Russian collusion or, or a seditionist when I know nothing about the activities of January 6th. And I actually think politically they were stupid, not only illegal, but stupid and, and counterproductive from a political point of view if you were a Trump supporter. Very uh, much, but, very uh, much. It's, it's very dangerous out there. Very, very dangerous. Uh, and uh, the left is very emboldened in terms of uh, public shaming and violence. Uh, and this was never, ever a part uh, of our politics. When, when did I, it I, happen? I one other thing, and that yeah. is, I thought, for example, that the idea of trying to impeach Bill Clinton for having, you know, sex with an intern in the Oval Office was one of the stupidest things I could think of. You could have removed him. You could have had a legitimate impeachment because he had sold national security secrets to the Chinese right. for campaign consult uh, campaign contributions. That would have been a matter that rose to the level of impeachment. But um, I think that that's uh, that that act alone uh, really helped uh, uh, our politics devolve into the politics of personal destruction. I, I didn't agree with that at the time. That makes a lot of sense. Who who set this sinister wave on fire? There's there's a part of me that knows we were creeping that way, but I see Obama as the great accelerator. Am I wrong? When did this really become something vile? Well, actually, I think it goes further back than that. I actually think that that Republican and Democrat. Look, I have a deep affection for the Republican Party. Uh, you know, I have a sentimental attachment to the party of. Goldwater, the party of Reagan, the party of Eisenhower, who's a much greater president than people give him credit for. Right. Uh, the, uh, the, the party of Trump, obviously. But the sad truth is uh, our party's, our country's been destroyed by a two-party duopoly. Uh, there really is only one party in Washington. It is the Green Party. I don't mean the Green Party that's on the ballot in multiple states. I mean the money party, the establishment party. And both major parties uh, are dominated by the neocons, by those who profit from war, from those who want war. Uh, and the, the old precept of peace through strength, which is kind of a Reagan-Eisenhower-based philosophy, uh, while I still think is very strong at the grassroots of the Republican Party, is not duly reflected at the leadership of the party. So uh, anyone who thinks the fight in Washington is between Republicans and Democrats, or even between liberals and conservatives, uh, that's, a that's a Hegelian device uh, that is used to put on this act for the people. But when you get right down to it, um, it's the, the real division in Washington is between the outsiders, uh, the insiders who dominate things, uh, and the outsiders like Donald Trump. I uh, also saw that Donald Trump was at your wedding when you married your lovely wife. You've known Donald J. Trump for uh, a very long time. I 40, personally believe... 43 years. We figured it out the other day. I've known him for 43 years. Wow. wow. Uh, I first went to his office in 1979, I think it was, to uh, persuade him to join Governor Ronald Reagan's uh, finance committee. Uh, in New York State, he and his father, Fred Trump, were both Reagan supporters. Um, he, had, he had always, you know, as a billionaire businessman, 
he always gave to both sides. He always right. had good relationships. I mean, the Clintons were at his wedding uh, when he when he married uh, uh, Marla Maples. Uh, when he uh, yeah when he married Marla Maples, uh, the Clintons were at his wedding. I was at that wedding as well. It's also uh, my wife and I were at his wedding when he married Melania, uh, who is an extraordinarily wonderful woman. I mean, cultured, decent level-headed, uh, just just a wonderful person and a wonderful Absolutely. mother. Uh, so um, he, uh, he is, a, you know, he is a phenomena unto himself. In other words, I see all these stories uh, about his trading cards. And I see people saying, whoever on his staff approved this uh, or, or promoted this should be fired. Boy, they really don't understand Donald Trump. Uh, he is not handled, handled, he's not managed, he is not scripted, he is not controlled. He is very, very much uh, a free spirit. Right. W willing to listen? Yes, absolutely. But at the end of the day, he's his own man. He makes his own decisions. Uh, and a lot of the people who have come and gone, who have worked for him, uh, have tried the old approach of, well, uh, Mr. President or Mr. Candidate, here are your talking points. Just stick to these. That that will never, ever work with Donald Trump, ever. Would uh, you take us back in time to before he walked down the escalator, when you're putting a bug in his ear, will you take us back to the time when you're first telling him, look, uh, maybe you should run for president of the United States? Kind of what was his first reaction? Uh, that would have been 1988. Uh, when he looked uh, in the New York Times and he saw that the choice that appeared to be headed towards us was a choice between George H.W. Bush and Michael Dukakis. Um, he had a low regard for Bush, even though he'd raised a substantial amount of money for him. Right. Uh, and uh, an equally low regard for the record of, of Michael Dukakis. I don't think they knew each other personally. Uh, but he said to me, you know, surely there is somebody better. I said, oh, there definitely is. He said, well, who is that? We should get behind them. I said, well, I was thinking of you. And he said, and I quote, you're out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, why do you say that? You have very strong views. And this is 1988. Uh, you have very strong views on NATO right. and the fact that our NATO partners are not paying their fair share. Right. You've talked about it. You have very uh, strong views uh, on our trade policy and the fact that we're being taken to the cleaners. This is pre-NAFTA, of course, uh, you have very strong views about the fact that our national defense has been allowed to atrophy. Uh, you are very strong on law and order. You talk about these things, you know, every day. Uh, why, why not? And he said, well, uh, you know, I've got all these real estate projects that I still want to achieve. I haven't done everything in real estate that I still want to do. In any event, I convinced him to do a trip to New Hampshire uh, we engineered an invitation from the Portsmouth, New Hampshire Chamber of Commerce. Uh, and um, it was the first time I saw the Trump magic, you know, in a, in a political realm. Uh, first of all, we took the big black helicopter. More people showed up to watch the helicopter land uh, in New Hampshire than had shown up, you know, for the same luncheon headlined by Vice President George Bush the month previously. Uh, and Trump went in completely unscripted, talked about those very things that we talked about, a strong national defense, uh, tougher trade policies, making our NATO partners cough up their fair share 
and uh, he just, you know, continued to dump on the political elites of, of both parties. I mean, he says the people run, leading us are stupid. I mean, they send their toughest negotiators. We send social workers to right. negotiate on our behalf. <laughs> anyway, he was a smash hit. I think he he liked the the publicity about the fact that he might run, um, but he also uh, at that point, I think he recognized that um, uh, that the time was not right. Uh, in uh, in 2000, um, he was very good friends with uh, Ross Perot. I uh, was also very good good friends with Jesse Ventura, who uh, had been a professional wrestler in Atlantic City, had wrestled at the old Trump Plaza, but who had subsequently become elected uh, governor of Minnesota. Uh, and they both wanted him to seek the Reform Party nomination for two good reasons. One, the Reform Party at that point had a permanent ballot position in about 30 of the 50 states. Uh, and then additionally, under the old campaign finance laws, whoever was the nominee of the Reform Party would get a check from the federal treasury of $39 million. So the wow. idea of running for president on OPM other people's money. Trump found that idea very, very uh, uh, in intriguing. Um, we made a number of, uh, of exploratory trips. We visited the uh, Holocaust Museum uh, in Los Angeles. We met with Rabbi Heyer. Uh, he did a trip to the Bay of Pigs uh, Veterans uh, Museum uh, in Miami. He met with Congresswoman uh, Ileana ross Layton, who ironically I saw at a dinner last night. Uh, he, he, uh, we made exploratory trips, uh, uh, to, uh, we had the entire national committee of the reform party to Mar-a-Lago for a reception. But in the end, he correctly determined that you could not win an election in America as an independent or as a third party candidate that one either had to be a Republican or a Democrat to win. Uh, he had always been a registered Republican he changed his registration temporarily to the New York Independence Party, which was the affiliate of the Reform Party, which he would have had to have done to be legally eligible for their nomination. Uh, as soon as he decided not to run, he switched his, his registration back to the Republican Party. Uh, and then I didn't know this until many years later, uh, when the Iraq War erupted, which he was opposed to, he actually went and registered it briefly as a Democrat. Uh, in in protest uh, of the Iraq war. Uh, and then he quietly switched back again to the Republican Party. And of course, by 2016, he was a, an enrolled Republican and eligible for the nomination. You know, before I got into doing this forensic audit stuff, I used to think, well, we have maybe one bad politician in this city, maybe two bad politicians in this state. I now believe that we maybe have one good politician in this city, not bad, one good politician in this state. In your opinion, being on the inside and what we have as our lineups today, what percent of our current politician legislators really are in it for the people? Uh, it's a handful. I mean, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, much like his father, Ron Paul, Right. Uh, a handful of rebels in the House. Uh, but by and large, uh, you know, they're all in the uniparty. Uh, right. it, becomes, it, it is all about chasing the money for re-election. 
Uh, and uh, it, it's interesting because the current chairwoman of the Republican National Committee uh, sets a historical precedent. She is the first chair of the Republican National Committee who has presided over a presidential defeat and then stayed on the job. In other words, it has been since the party's inception in 1861, it has been the tradition that if you presided over a losing presidential race, that you would step down and that the party would regroup. So Rana Romney McDaniel is the first national chairperson to retain that office after uh, her party lost a presidential election. Now we can argue about, you know, whether it was legitimate loss, that's a different question, but right. generally, generally speaking, um, you don't reward failure. Now, given the fact that the red wave became a pink drizzle uh, is all the more reason why the party really needs uh, new leadership. Absolutely. And there needs to be, in my opinion, a top to bottom financial audit of the Republican National Committee. Those you I better like believe to know it. Where every penny is going, not just the hard money, but also the soft money. Because I think this is a griftomania. In other words, I think there are many, many favored consultants getting very, very rich, uh, which would be one thing if they were winning elections. But if they're getting rich and losing elections, it, it's, it's even worse. I uh, thought about that. Much that we do not know. Right. I thought about that. I, uh, Rana, I, I think she's a bad egg. That's just my personal opinion. When you raise almost $400 million based on election integrity and you do nothing about it and you support nothing, bad egg. I think she only really cares about 168 people. That's her immediate circle that keeps her voted in. And she keeps them tethered with big consulting contracts to keep her in a position of power. Two things. First, Rona, is she going to be out? Are we going to get somebody new? What do you think about Mike Lindell running for it? He threw his hat in uh, or her meat. Uh, second, uh, let's talk about Speaker and uh, McCarthy. Which one do you want to tackle first? Uh, let's start with the party chairmanship. This is very much an inside game. Uh, I love Mike Lindell. He's a patriot. Uh, he's probably the preeminent uh, advocate for both free speech and election integrity in the country. He certainly Absolutely. put his money where his mouth is in that regard. Uh, you wonder why the Republican National Committee wasn't paying for the Maricopa County audit, for example, That's right. uh, or audits in the other states where that was conducted. Uh, I, I was on a, a Twitter space. This is a new thing to me uh, since I have now just been restored to Twitter, which is surprising because all I really did was fill out a form and send it in. Uh, and the next thing you know, um, uh, my my Twitter account was back. I had 980,000 people at the time I was banned in 2017. I think I have 300 and change now. Hopefully after the show, I'll have a few more. We'll get uh, you back there. You, uh, you were you were clocking in this evening at about 312, 314,000. Uh, we'll put the word out and get you back there. Folks, Here's here's it's just Roger J. Stone Jr. That's where you're going to find him on Twitter. We've got to get his audience back up. Sorry, go ahead. Anyway, well, Rona. I, I think, uh, and I was very impressed with uh, Harmeet Dillon in this uh, Twitter um, uh, uh, space. Right. Really, uh, she had a very good grip on uh, on the problems. Uh, I have an equally high regard for Mike Lindell, who's a man of enormous integrity. Either one of them would be a great Im improvement. But at the end of the day, I think this is an inside job. 
Uh, I'm not even sure that that uh, Rona is really running the party. I think uh, the party may be run by those who were her predecessors, uh, who could talk to Trump into supporting her not once but twice. Right. Uh, so while I would like to see a change, I'm. It, it's very uphill. Recognizing that the uh, that the choices made by the national committee and the national committee is comprised of the state chairperson. Uh, and a national committee man and woman from each state and then from the territories. Uh, and uh, the state national committee people uh, are elected in different ways in different states. Some places they're elected by state convention. Some places they're elected by the state committee. Some places uh, they're uh, selected uh, in caucuses. Some places they're appointed by the chairman. So um, only by exerting grassroots pressure by the voters on their duly elected national committee members. Is there any chance here uh, for any play? Uh, to go to the question of Kevin McCarthy, it's a, it's a very complicated question. Right. Uh, I'm, I am not a fan of Mr. McCarthy. Uh, I'm not a fan of, of his uh, non-combative leadership. Uh, I have very little confidence that he um, we'll dig into the Hunter Biden laptop as is appropriate. I have very little confidence that he will examine the corruption uh, in our three letter agencies uh, as is necessary. I have very little confidence that he will reexamine what actually happened on January 6th. And I think that deserves a, a reexamination. Uh, on the other hand, we know he has 181 votes minimum. He needs 218 uh, in January to become the speaker. Uh, that assumes, therefore, that the rebels, uh, most of them friends of mine, like Matt Gates and, and uh, others, uh, Andy Biggs, good people, right. uh, have somewhere around 30 votes. Uh, and um, it, it is not beyond Kevin McCarthy, if he cannot get the votes of Republicans, to uh, approach the Democrats in some kind of a power-sharing arrangement uh, in which he would make concessions to them. Uh, and I would hate to see that. Uh, it's hard to name any other Republican uh, who, and by the way, as you know, you do not have to be a member of the House to be Speaker of the House. Uh, it's hard to think of any other Republican who could win all 181 of Kevin McCarthy's votes uh, and the other 31 roughly uh, votes uh, who oppose McCarthy in the Republican caucus. The obvious name that keeps coming up is one of, of Donald Trump. Right. Uh, obviously, I would love that, um, even if he only did it on a temporary basis. Right. Uh, but uh, what I don't want to see is a power sharing arrangement uh, with the Democrats. Uh, Matt Gates is a very, very smart guy. Uh, he's a very skilled uh, legislator. He's also a very skilled poker player. Uh, he has a hand. Only he knows what's in his hand. Right. So in the end, my guess, if I had to guess, and it's just a guess, you have uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's made a number of important concessions on rules, uh, committee assignments, and so on. Um, but perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps there is somebody out there who can cobble together uh, a new majority. Um, I will say this. I think the party's in better shape with a slim majority then we would have been had we won by 25 seats. If we won by 25 seats, this, there would be no question about this. Right. Uh, it is a, a tragedy that we have come so close in the Senate. Uh, but the idea that Donald Trump is responsible for a less than impressive 
a midterm election is an absurdity. It's just, he gets no it's credit not. for the election of J.D. Vance in Ohio. He gets no credit for the election of probably his strongest Senate ally, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, which was a very, very, very difficult race. He gets no credit for the fact that 3.7 million Amer more Americans voted for Republican congressional candidates than Democratic congressional candidates. No, I think the failure lies in the 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 mix. McCarthy, McConnell, uh, and McDaniel. Uh, we got to get rid of the mix, that's for sure. Quick question, um, and if if you don't have an answer, fine, or don't want to answer it. A lot of scuttlebutt about the January 6th committee has decided, I'm hearing numbers between five and eight different indictments, criminal indictments, some saying an arrest warrant is going to be issued for Donald J. Trump. I know they've been triangulating this because they're terrified of the man running again. Any credence to any of this? Uh, I just have no way of knowing. All I can tell you definitively is that any claim that I knew in advance about uh, participated in uh, or condoned any illegal action on January 6th in Washington, D.C. or any other date is categorically false. And there is no witness, no email, no text message, no encrypted message, no phone call, no meeting uh, the, who, who could contradict that. Right. Uh, the, uh, the, they actually showed some videos that were clearly manipulated, but even those, if you watch carefully, what I said was, if on election night it's up in the air, then uh, Trump should declare victory. Right. That's the precise advice that James A. Baker III gave George W. Bush when the nineteen uh, uh, the 2000 election was up in the air. Right. Uh, it, it, that is public relations and political advice. That is not the same as saying, if Trump loses, he should declare victory. That's not even remotely right. what I said. So you'll think with you think with these guys, you think they're going to try and press charges, truly bring charges against Donald J. Trump at all? Uh, is they they leak like a sieve. So right. um, you know, if if you believe tonight's news and the news over the weekend, it appears that they will charge him uh, with some fabricated crime in connection with January six. Now that is just a, that's a referral. That's right. not an indictment. That's true. Uh, and of course, nobody has been indicted uh, for the willing and, and knowing use of the Steele dossier and the CrowdStrikes report to rationalize the appointment of special counsel uh, for the purposes of removing a duly elected president, the biggest uh, dirty trick in American political history. Uh, and then you have the entire fabricated second Ukrainian uh, impeachment. Uh, so um, it's a two-tiered justice system. How could you have January 6th hearings and not focus on the uh, death of Ashley Babbitt? Why would you not show that video? Why would you not ask the Capitol Hill police officer who shot and killed an unarmed veteran who was menacing no one uh, and shot and killed without warning? Why would you not investigate that, for example? So uh, this is, a, I think most Americans realize this is a political proceeding. Um, uh, and uh, all it underlines is the fact that, that as much as they attack him and keep saying he's unelectable, they really, really don't want to run against Donald Trump again. They really don't. Very true. My final two questions. Um, we all know it's bad. Everybody's suffering. Everybody's hurting. There's a lot of fear. And the system is using fear against people. Where do you, if you gave us a very sobering health checkup, 
what would you believe the state of the United States is as a whole right now? And then last question, leaning on the side of we've got to make changes, what can we do to get out of this mess? Well, first of all, faith over fear. Uh, you know, I, I'm a political strategist for 40 plus years, and usually I have a very finite, thought out strategy to solve any uh, public uh, or political problem. But in this case, I find myself doing a huge amount of praying. Um, I really believe the only reason I'm here with you tonight, Jovan, is because uh, I, I redeemed myself from the blood of the cross. I went back to the church. I prayed in earnest because I was being lynched in a Soviet-style show trial. Yes, sir. You cannot lie under oath about Russian collusion that doesn't exist. It's not even possible. Uh, so uh, I really think, uh, because I'm a believer in the Bible, that I do believe uh, that, 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 that things do come out correct in the end, that the Lord will not allow the destruction of this great creation of his. Uh, that said, um, I also think that in my mind, when I try to add to 270 electoral votes and I try to do it without Pennsylvania and without and without uh, 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 Michigan, uh, it means that you absolutely must have election law reform in Arizona, Georgia and North Carolina. Right. Uh, and you have Republican majorities in, in the legislature in those three states. So that is not an impossibility. So whether it is uh, President Donald Trump or Governor Ron DeSantis or anybody else who would like to run for president, I would focus my campaign very directly on winning election law reform in those three states, because otherwise it won't matter who our nominee is. Uh, I can add to two. I can figure out every other state by and large, just based on historical record. Uh, but uh, if you don't have reform in those three states, then I think the, it doesn't matter um, who we nominate, with the caveat that since the Democrats did not take control of the Senate, um, there's not going to be a change in the economic policies in this country, which means our economy by 2024 could resemble America in 1933, in which case all bets are then off and anything is possible. Right. Roger, how can we support you? You've been through hell in a handbasket back, fought for this nation, never changed. As we're hearing from the time you were a 12-year-old, your eyes were open, and I know they've taken everything away from you. How can my audience help you on your path, on your journey to continue on doing what you're doing? And I know you're doing your program now, too, as well. Well, thank you for asking. First of all, uh, I still have 11 pending harassment civil lawsuits filed against me by Liberals, nut jobs, lunatics, Democrats. Oh, wait, I'm being redundant. That's the same thing. <laughs> uh, but this is what they call lawfare. So they file right. a lawsuit against you that has no merit, that has no basis. Uh, it generates terrible headlines. It generates thousands and thousands of dollars of legal fees. There were once 17. I prevailed in six. There are still 11 folks who want to help my wife and I. And that fight can go to stonedefensefund.com, stonedefense fund.com. I have no choice but to continue fighting until I have resolved every one of these cases, uh, right. which I will. Uh, I'm doing a daily podcast at stonezone.live, stonezone.live every day at five o'clock Eastern, four o'clock Central, uh, based at uh, frankspeech.com, but also watchable on my Rumble channel, which is uh, rumble.com slash Roger Stone. Also, uh, you can see it uh, as well at Telegram. 
Uh, you can see it at cozy.tv and so on. Uh, and as you say, I have a new uh, Substack, which uh, you spoke of earlier. This is a new endeavor for me. And last but not least, you can go to stonezone.com. That's my website for all things Roger Stone. Uh, and get your very own Roger Stone Did Nothing Wrong t-shirt. Uh, or your official uh, copy of my presidential pardon, which I will inscribe to you. Uh, and because the Daily Beast made fun of me for selling these, if you put in promo code Daily Beast, you'll get 10% off. And that's stonezone.com? Yes, correct. Stonezone.com. Stonezone.com. It's been very enlightening. Everybody's raving in the chat about it, folks. Stonezone.com. Stonezone.com, uh, folks. Uh, we need to support the people that put their lives on the line for us, especially in this political mess. Uh, Roger, I greatly appreciate you. I greatly appreciate all you bring to this country and that you're one of the very few that's, well, just still the way you are, focused on it and fighting it, calling it like it is. And I have great respect for that. Well, you know, when you go through something like I've been through, my children, my grandchildren both said, maybe it's time to hang it up. Not a chance. Not uh, a chance. I, I stand shoulder to shoulder with you in the fight for election integrity, for honest, fair, secure, transparent elections, uh, and uh, for winning uh, in 2024, which is what I'd like to see us do. God bless you and thank you. Thank you, Roger. Have a good night. Thank you very much. There you go, folks. Uh, wonderful man, wonderful patriot. Um, we're very lucky to have him joining us. I just wanted to bring you a way to get to know the man. You can always know about people in the political arena, and they will always write junk and crap all the time. They will. It's just the way it is, folks. But to get to know the man, I'm telling you, uh, He's got a whole new crop of fans out there that need to know about Roger and support Roger. And uh, I'm glad that y'all enjoyed the interview. Folks, I love you very much. Have a great evening. Uh, share this program. This is one that everybody needs to see. Folks, we'll get through this. We're all in this together. Good night, folks. Most people are afraid to stand up and speak out, but not you. You've been learning how to tell the system to cut the crap. What can I do to help save the America I love? And the answer is learn how to fight back and tell the system to cut the crap. Cut the crap's not just a radio program. It's a movement, the right kind of movement, which breaks free the conservative constipation and reminds you that you are the majority. And we're just not going to take it anymore. Make sure you're following Joe Bon Hunt and Pulitzer on all social media. See you next week. And between now and then, take a stand and tell them all to cut the crap. We've got all the right in the world on our side. And there ain't no reason to be afraid. And there ain't no reason to not take the challenge dead on. Because I'm going to tell you who we come from, folks. We don't come from some weak, jellyback, spineless people. That's not who we come from. None of us. And it doesn't matter what color you are, what nation your folks hail from, how much money you got. We all share the same name. We are Americans. And at Bunker Hill, there was Americans. And at Fredericksburg and Gettysburg, there was Americans. 
and that Iwo Jima raising that flag on Sarabachi, it was Americans. And that Porkchop Hill, it was Americans. Quezon, it was Americans. And on 9-11, there was Americans who ran towards those burning buildings. That is who you share your heritage with. You do not share your heritage with a weak and ineffective people who tower at the side of trouble. You share your heritage with a strong and brave people who are determined to hold on to their freedom and for the freedom of future generations. Guys, it's time for us to stand up and be that generation. It's time for us to stand strong and proud to remember who we are, that we are Americans. And as long as we stand as the vanguard of freedom in this nation, freedom will survive not only survive, but guys, it's time to put on a pack. It's time to fix those bayonets. It's time to get ready. We got a fight on our hands. And our fight is not for us, for all those generations that's going to come behind us. Let's save America, folks. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 260 million of you shop here weekly. And did you know you spend about $1,400 each year? Two and a half million of you shop here daily, and you give them $1,000 each year. Combined, that's a half a trillion dollars annually. And you think it's the American way to shop? Think again. Your hard-earned money is being funneled to bad organizations. The consumable products you buy, well, they're washing America down the drain. Think about where you spend your money. Folks, we have to save America from socialism. We need to make the woke go broke. First things first, and that's America first. You need to follow the money. You need to follow your money and make the woke go broke. So I will show you how to save America from socialism. Go to makewokegobroke.click. Yes, dot click. Makewokegobroke.click. Makewokegobroke.click and do it now. You want to know what stinks? When you bought this brand, or maybe you bought this brand, you personally funded Black Lives Matter. Yes, you. Y-O-U. When you bought these products, your hard-earned money helped fund BLM. We think it stinks, too. Woke companies took your money and fund the destruction of America with things like critical race theory, Marxism, and more. But wait, it does get worse. Hundreds of name brands and all the big box stores... Use your money to fund the woke America-hating agenda. It's time for you to put an end to this insanity and fight back. We need to make the woke go broke. If we work together, we can save America from socialism. Just click. One simple click changes everything. MakeWokeGoBroke.click. Yes, MakeWokeGoBroke.click. Let's save America, folks.